Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. Quick recap of this week. We got into a really hot and heavy session about things like stress, de-stress, eustress. Talked a lot about my therapy session that I started last Friday. I've had two sessions this past week between episodes. And we talk about what therapy is like for different people, basically, and, and how you can make use of therapy sessions with therapists. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome, everyone. This is Startup Struggles, episode number 26. 26. Yep. We are your hosts, James Park and Sean Lee. Sean Lee. And we're, we're going to talk about um, therapy today. Yeah. So last week, Sean mentioned that he was going to be starting some therapy sessions. And so he's had two sessions already. And I've also had some experience with having a therapist. So we thought that we could just kind of dig into our thoughts on therapy. Yeah. I started my first session on Friday. It was somebody that was referred to me by a colleague, you could say. Mm -hmm. And I had my initial reservations because I didn't look for this person. Like I didn't find this person. And I've tried looking for therapists on BetterHelp before and asking friends and looking on Google. And I've always had this reservation like, wait, is this person going to understand me or like be able to help me through whatever it is I'm working through? Mm -hmm. And then I would have this this fear of like, wait, I don't even know what I need help working through. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? so it's like, how do I find somebody to help me with something that I don't even know? Yeah. Like what's wrong with me or not what's wrong with me, but like, what am I struggling with? Right. But part of it, and I remember my first session on Friday, I was like, just telling her my story. And I was like, well, where do I start? I got 37 years to like, to cover here. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing that I experienced through the LMFT that Mink and I had before or have periodically is that like 95, 97% of the time, it's just you talking. Wait, what does that stand for? For me and for listeners who might not know what LMFT stands for. Oh, licensed marriage, family, and uh, therapist. Okay. Basically, yeah, family therapists, marriage counselors. My experience last Friday was very similar to the LMFT, same because they're, they're both therapists. They're talking like 95% of the time and 5% of the time, they're just like asking questions or not probing, but asking very interesting questions and, and then making a statement. Like, have you thought about this? And then uh, it'll just be like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> but something that I, I learned from my, a really good friend of mine this morning, actually, I was talking to him, haven't talked to him in months because I've been, I've been so busy. And when I didn't message him, actually, I messaged, like didn't go through. And I was like, wait, wh where is he? <laughs> like, why is my iMessage not going through? And I texted one of our other mutual friends, like, where's Anthony? He's like, oh, he's in Spain. Message him on Signal. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, that makes sense. But I, I talked to him and he mentioned something to me that was interesting. He said that I might be an external processor. What does that mean? Right. I never heard of this either. What that means is I have to talk about or externalize what's in my head for it to make sense. Mm -hmm. Like I have to talk about it with somebody else, whether it's a therapist or a friend. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. <laughs> like, 
Kind of sounds like getting outside of your head. Yeah. But I guess there are some people that are internal processors. And if I try to process anything internally, it just it's just a mess. Yeah. It's like I can't sort it out. Because I was telling him that one of the realizations I had was that I used to have, and I still do have this anxiety about like losing my thought. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night be like, and have a thought, be like, aha, have like an aha moment or like in the shower or somewhere, right? I mean, like we're driving. That's like the worst. Yeah. It's like, oh, I got to write this down. I'm going to forget this. And I used to just whip out my phone or like jump out of the shower or like get up in bed and, and stare at my phone and write. And it's terrible. It's a terrible habit because not only does it not accomplish anything <laughs> long term, I realize for me at least, because rarely do I go back and review what I wrote and make sense of it and like compile it or like organize it. And more often than not, it just gives me anxiety that like I have to remember this thing. Hmm. But my point is ultimately, regardless of whether I jump to write it down or I don't, it's still like I'm just a mess of thoughts of things in my head and it's never organized. And so being able to talk about it with people helps me make better sense of it. Yeah. For some odd reason, it just helps me source through my thinking. And that's what I experience with a therapist is literally me just talking for like 45 minutes straight. I think that's, it comes with just added sessions. I think the earlier sessions with therapy, they tend to listen a lot more. And then over time, I think they'll still listen way more than they'll talk. But over time, as they get to know you, they'll be able to give better insight. But that's kind of what I mean by this external processor is I wonder what are the chances somebody else can really give us the answer when it's like you come to the answer yourself by talking it out. Yeah. I don't know how much I believe this, but there's this affirmation that I've been repeating to myself for quite some time, which is I have all the answers within me. And this is kind of like trust your gut your gut feeling, your gut instinct is more often than not about yourself is probably correct. But a lot of times, I think what a therapist can do is they help you bring that out and to be able to piece it together. Because when we're running through our thoughts in, inside our heads, we're actually just, we're not even talking. We're just in our heads. And it might feel like there's conversation that's happening, but really it's just your mind is just firing all these thoughts left and right, and there's no coherent way to kind of piece it together. And therapy, for me personally, it felt like I had someone to talk to about my own thoughts, and they were able to piece these things together. And I think that's kind of what you're experiencing. Yeah. And think about like external processor versus internal processor. I, I've never heard that before. And I'm really curious like the people that are really good at internally processing their own thoughts and being able to piece together your own thoughts in your head by yourself. I feel like that's a huge skill. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> or maybe we're all on a spectrum of it somewhere and we're able to do some things internally and some other things we're dependent on other people. Oh, I, I like that. I like that. By the way, for people listening, like, I bought James a copy of Courage to be Disliked, and then he in turn bought me a copy of The Courage to be Happy. And at that time, I don't know what I was reading, but I never got around to like really getting into the book. And I just finished 100 Years of Solitude. 
And I was like, okay, I'm good with novels for now. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to find a book to to listen to. And I was like, wait, I have this book, Courage to be Happy. It sounds kind of appropriate for me at this time right now, you know? And I started listening to it and they bring back the ideas of separation of tasks Mm -hmm. and things like that. And, And it just, I don't know what it made me feel, but it just made me feel like I'd really gotten off the path that I had thought I was on. Like I thought I was on like the path. Mm -hmm. I was like on track. And I was like, as I'm reading the book, it just made me realize like how much off the track I've gotten (laughs) in terms of just accepting myself, accepting the reality, accepting realities. You're walking somewhere, then all of a sudden the path fell out from underneath you. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And we talked about this before, like between you and I privately and like everything, honesty is great the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. but I've never felt so lost. Yeah. And last week we talked about purpose, right? I've never felt so purposeless. And it's weird because there's still so much good in the world and our lives. <laughs> yeah. You almost feel like you don't have the right to feel like this. When everything is going so well and we're in a very good overall state, Right? We can't complain. We're healthy. We have family. We have friends. Yeah. We don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from. And at the same time, you kind of start to feel wrong for feeling like this. Yeah. And obviously any kind of stress or guilt is self-induced mm-hmm. for the most part. I think 99% of stress is self-induced because <laughs> it's just it's stories that we're telling ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. I. I think what people have to understand first is that stress is normal. You can never get away from stress. And I learned this a very difficult way in like, I was stressed out at work all the time. And so I went to an extreme over the last year of not doing any work at all, but I still found myself stressed out. I found myself looking for things to be stressed out about. And I feel like running away from stress or thinking that stress is not supposed to happen actually makes you more stressed out. And I think a way to counteract stress is the reaction to stress. Like for me, when I get overwhelmed and like thinking about work and or thinking about what is my purpose? What's my life? Or is something as like stressed out as like trying to get somewhere, but stuck in traffic and that causes stress. So all of that is stress in our heads. But a way to actually remove stress from our lives is not to think that, oh, we need to remove the situation. It's more the reaction to what is happening. That's true. Well, you just remind me of two things. One, Tim Ferriss, we talked about this before, has this like these separation of stress. Like there's de-stress, which is distress. I remember this, yeah. And there's eustress, right? EU. So I think that's one way to separate the two is you can proactively create eustress like you stress would be things like pushing yourself to learn something new, mm-hmm. like golf. That's you stress. <laughs> <laughs> Improving my golf swing is you stress. And in regards to distress, I think you're absolutely right. I think part of it is is the stories that we tell ourselves. So I mean, there are going to be stressful situations in the world no matter what, right? Like wars and famine, like disease, poverty, whatever it is, right? But it doesn't have to cause you de-stress. Like no people in war times that are, they're able to maintain good mental health or in times of poverty, you know, whatnot. It's like, they don't let it 
get to them basically or eat them alive. Mm -hmm. So that's part of, I think, part of the reaction that you're talking about, like how you react to the de-stress. And it's not all bad. So that's something I, I'm starting to keep in mind a lot. But overall, I think the biggest learnings from the past three weeks and then talking to my friend, talking to the therapist has been just to slow things down. And I've always had this like impatience and urgency, like things need to get done yesterday, today, but it's undefined what needs to get done, how much of it. And I don't know where this impatience comes from. That's what I've been exploring with the therapist because in many ways, I'm a very patient person. Like <laughs> I'm very patient with people. Mm -hmm. At least I like to think so. Very understanding and patient with how things take time or how like with learning golf or picking up something new that it takes time to learn it. I'm not uh, as naive to think that like I'm going to pick up golf in like a day <laughs> or a week. But in many ways, I've noticed I'm also very impatient. And, and some of these stem from how, you know, I've very terrible consumption habits. Like if I want something, get it now. And I don't know, that's like built from our society and culture and materialism today. It's like Amazon one day, like, dude, I can't imagine what life is like without one day shipping. You know, when I go to Michigan, I'm like, wait, it takes four days or three days for something to get here. That's ridiculous. I have yeah. same day or one day service here and living in LA because the warehouse is right next to my house. Yeah. And obviously instant gratification of everything on, on social media. Yeah. Netflix, on demand, just everything's on demand. I don't think I developed a habit from society at large. And so I've been trying to figure out like, how did I develop this impatience with, with life? Hmm. I get what you're saying. I have the same thing where you, you want to be at the finish line, no matter what. You want things to be done. I feel like that's a human trait. We just want to be able to accomplish anything that we want faster and more efficiently. And we forget that the journey is like... But James, like, as you're saying that, I'm just like, how, what is done? Like, what would be done for your writing career? Like, what is the finish line? Like, are you like, you wrote a book? hundred books, your Nobel literature, like winner, like, <laughs> like what is the finish line? I don't have an answer for that because I think that's kind of the problem is we all want to be done. We're all in this race to get to somewhere, but it's yeah, done with life. It's called the grave. Yeah. That's a finish line. And a lot of times it's, I really believe it's this belief of retirement. I think everyone is in a hurry to retire because that's what a lot of people were trained to believe, hey, work now, save money now, and then retire and you're like done. I can't say that this is like a human thing that we're born with, but it just feels like what we are trying to do is to get to somewhere else because we're unsatisfied with where we are now. And that's only trained through school, through this like education system of how we are trained to learn. It's like we learn this stuff to get good grades to go to the next thing. And it's just like pushing always to the next thing, get done with grade school, get done with college, get done with finding a job, getting a promotion. It's always like a next, next, next thing. And somewhere in that whole mess of things, we've forgotten what it's like to actually enjoy and be satisfied with where we are now. And I think that kind of fits with what you're saying about slowing things down. It's if you're slowing things down, you're actually taking in your surroundings, taking in the journey, being in love with the process and not the outcome. 
I don't know. It's such a hard thing to wrap your head around because, dude, we're all in this race. I don't know what it is. Well, okay. I have a couple thoughts about that. I think you're absolutely right. And I was trying to think like, what is the conditioning that we've been taught? And this stems from our previous conversation last week, which was like how you said, like before there were set finish lines or set destinations, right? There was like graduating high school, graduating college, right? Graduating grad school or like getting this job or earning this title. And once we are removed from that, which you and I are, yeah, it's like, what happens? Then what? Yeah. What do we define? Like, what do we define as like the milestones in our lives? Do we? And then it's like, wait, do we need to define milestones in our lives? Yeah, maybe not. And that's what you're saying. It's like, if we don't, and we just appreciate the present and what is like today, then it's like, <laughs> I don't want to say fuck milestones or fuck goals, but like, it's something that that is interesting to explore. And I think that's an interesting segue into something along the, this idea that we always have to be moving. I'm starting to wonder if this is like a personality thing. Whereas like, I look at Mink. Mink is very content with her life. Not in a bad way. I don't say that in a bad way. And I was talking about this with my therapist. And she was like, what is your dad like? And I was like, my dad's a very content person. <laughs> like, again, not in a bad way. Like in a very healthy way. Mm -hmm. They're both just very content with their lives. <laughs> and it doesn't mean like they don't learn new things or do things. However, like my mom and I were like very discontent. <laughs> we're like on the opposite end of the spectrum. My therapist was like, did you marry... Because initially you always think like you marry someone like your mom. And she's like, maybe you married someone like your dad. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I never thought about that. Huh. <laughs> there are obviously things that Mink is very similar with my mom, but in many ways, she is actually very similar to my dad. Like they're very grounded people. Whereas my mom and I are a lot more like emotional. And what's tied to all that is just this endless hunger or thirst for like, learning and knowledge. And part of that is driven by just this insatiable curiosity, which is, again, what sounds like a fantastic fucking thing, but like taken to an extreme, which I think I have, it's very bad because for people that love to learn or grow or do new things constantly, nonstop, all day, every day, 24 seven, it can be very detrimental because then you never feel accomplished. You never feel done with anything. Oh, because you're... Because there's always something else to learn. There's always something new to do. Because you're curious about everything. Yeah, if it's not fucking, you know, like race car driving yesterday, it's like golf or like kite surfing, you know, or something. There's always like a shinier object on the horizon. Hmm. And I started to wonder, is that why I'm discontent? Like just always discontent. And something that I thought was a very positive trait, you know, student always can be detrimental. I mean, in reality, everything's a double-edged sword. That's like something I, I don't remind myself enough of. It's like something that seems so fucking good of a trait. Like, what's the downside of it? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think this is something, because my mom and I, we love to read. We love to learn new things. I think I get this from her. Not saying my, my dad's a professor. He's an educator. Like, he learns new things too. But I think in terms of like the range or variety or things, it's just not as wide or as frequent as myself. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's just, I think it's, it's actually causing me harm than good. Maybe it's because, okay, so I actually really think that being curious is a very good thing. Yeah. But what's the downside of it? Everything's a double-edged sword. We have to approach it that way. Yeah. 
my approach has been, I think curious is good because I feel like I'm curious about things, but I'm not curious enough. I don't want to pursue it because I don't want to like do my own therapy on myself is I think I'm afraid to fail. So I don't start anything anymore. And I'm afraid to do these things. So I'm not curious. I don't let my curiosity drive me as deep because after I start learning about golf, for example, I realize that I suck at golf. And to get better at it, I had to like push past this failure side and just be curious enough to get past that. But I don't like the feeling of failure as much. I don't think anybody likes it though. <laughs> but I actually feel like that's the way to succeed at anything is actually to not necessarily enjoy, but to expect to fail. Because if you just expect to fail at things, but you're willing to take the shot anyways, you actually start to not pursue like success on that thing, but you're actually pursuing the process of getting better at it. Like you're okay with this kind of, oh, like I'm bad at this right now, but I enjoy it. So I'm going to keep doing it. It reminded me of an article. I think, I don't know if I sent this to you from Inc. Magazine. It's called The Two-Week Rule. Did I ever send this to you? I don't think so. I'll send it to you. It's like one of the most fascinating things I read. And it goes along the lines of like embracing failure, except not using the word failure, because I don't think anybody likes failure, even if you try to tell yourself failure is a good word. Yeah. We can post the article as a link in the footnotes of this episode in the description. But it's how to use a two-week rule to become remarkably successful. And the story goes like he wanted to learn how to become a professional cyclist or something like that. And he had a buddy who was like a professional cyclist. I was like, all right, help me build a routine to like join this, you know, do this like half marathon or something, cycling marathon. Give me like a three-month plan. And his buddy was like, here's a two-week plan. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? <laughs> and the two-week plan was very intense. And his buddy was like, just do the two-week plan. If you can't do the two-week plan, like what's the point of me giving you a three-month plan, <laughs> right? And it was just one of the most interesting articles I read in the past month because because he says this, when you start slow, which is what we typically do, instead of starting like fast and hard for two weeks, the plan or process routine we create for ourselves really work. You're willing to work hard, but not too hard. You're willing to work long, but not too long. You're willing to push yourself, certainly not too hard. So you start slow, you start soft. You start with an emotional safety net. Within a few days, the results of lacking progress, because there's no way to make meaningful improvements in just a few days, forces you to confront the huge gulf between where you are currently and where you hope to be someday. And that was actually really interesting. And that's the moment and the reason we usually quit. Not because we didn't want it badly enough, not because we don't have the mental toughness, not because our goals weren't important or meaningful or worthwhile, only because we started slow, soft, and safe and never gave ourselves a real chance of success. And so the two-week rule, how does this work? You basically just, you start something, but you just fucking go hard for two weeks. You go hard for two weeks and give it a real shot. You'll know very quickly whether or not you want to continue doing this, right? And not because you're a failure. It says, let's see, this is the emotional aspect of the first two weeks. And this is very important. He said, after all, you can do anything. You can make any kind of change, embrace any kind of routine for two weeks. If you can't, then you've clearly chosen a goal that doesn't mean enough to you. If I couldn't stay the course for two weeks, I definitely wouldn't stay the course for three months. And keep in mind that the first two weeks wouldn't make me a failure. There's no way to know what it takes to achieve a certain goal until you embark on the path towards that goal. That's when you really find out what you really want, or in some cases, don't want. 
since we can't do everything, knowing what we're not willing to do based on the tangible or emotional return on investment of time and effort required keeps us from dreaming about a destination we will never reach. And so if I made it through the first two weeks, that means the goal really did mean something to me. And then at, there's this. At the end of two weeks, I would have enjoyed some level of success, of improvement, of return on effort. And I thought that was like really interesting, which is why like when I jumped into golf, I was like, get a trainer, invest in this thing, I'll do all this, like just go fucking all in. Because if two weeks go in and I'm just like, nah, then I, you know, it's not that I'm a failure. It's just like, no, this thing really wasn't for me. People can't see my screen. You can see this. It's like a $1,200 <laughs> fucking racing chair plus like racing wheel and whatnots for PS5 GT7. And I went hard for like two week and a half. And then I was like, no, I'm returning it, by the way. I'm returning it all. <laughs> But it's a good thing. It's, I'm so glad because I, I'm glad I didn't like try it for a month because then I wouldn't have been able to return it. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I really, I, I like that thinking, go hard for two weeks. Because I was always thinking um, when you start habits, right? James Clear talks about this with atomic habits. You start small. And maybe that's the difference is if you're thinking about doing a lifelong habit I don't know, like reading or something, you can start small because you build that kind of muscle and for it to be a lifelong thing. But yep. maybe if it's something like a ridiculous goal that you want to achieve, like not just exercising, but saying running a marathon, then you can try to go hard. Go hard for the first couple of weeks to see if do you actually want to run a marathon or do you just want to have a short little daily exercise routine that just keeps you overall healthy. Yeah. Huh. That's super interesting. I like that. The subtitle of this is two weeks is all it takes to find out what a goal means to you and what you're willing to do to achieve it. The biggest takeaway from this wasn't what you'll get out of it, but it's the antithesis of it. It's this finding out what you don't want to do. Like just have some finality. Like I don't want to race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I've always had this, like my, one of my first roommates in LA, like he had a racing chair. Like he was like, he went on, on the racetrack and all this stuff. I was like, looks so fucking cool. And then like GT seven is one of those games, those simulation games where it's like, it's hyper-realistic. Like you're racing real tracks in the world. If I like memorize this track, like I can go to that track in Germany and fucking go on that track and, and like, drive it like for real. And the turns will be the exact same turns, you know? And I was like, dude, that sounds amazing. Right. I'm like, I can travel and then like go rent track cars and go like on the track and stuff. And it'll be so exhilarating and cool and whatnot. Went hard for a week and a half, not even two weeks. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm not interested. Yeah. Yeah. Not as interesting as I thought. Very different from our friend Hesong, right? Like he loves these racing games and whatnot. And I'm, I'm so glad I found out that, nah, I just wanted to play a game. <laughs> you can do that with a $60 controller. Exactly. Not a $1,200 setup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is something I've been kind of embracing, especially with, with challenges. And again, I, I, Atomic Habits, I totally agree. I think there's certain things like going to the gym on a consistent basis, right? Or like eating healthy or like those things are like lifestyle things. I think you definitely need or going to bed early, like creating a, a nice routine so that I prime myself for going to bed, right? Mm -hmm. Removing technology, not looking at my phone, things like that. Or if I have trouble falling asleep, like 
don't look at my phone. Like those to me are like the atomic habits where just don't fucking do it. Whereas like anything challenging, any kind of new endeavor, this whole two week thing, I, I really enjoy. I think it's good. Mm, I like that. But going back to our original conversation around therapists, <laughs> going all the way back to therapy. Yeah. By which I think there's many forms of therapy. There's like therapy where you talk to people. There's therapy just like creating time and space for yourself, whether it's through an activity that you enjoy, like golf or meeting your friends. But going back to what what I originally was talking about around creative people, and, and I do notice that creative people are depressed more often or have bouts of depression more often. And you, you hear this too, like artists, <laughs> class example. And I do wonder is because of that insatiable or not insatiable, unreined, uncontrolled like desire for variety. When we go back to like the, the whole Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs, like security versus variety, where it's like, I know I highly, I seek a lot of variety and I don't seek a lot of security because I have a lot of security. But whereas like, I feel like on that scale, my dad or, or Mink, like they, they definitely crave more security than variety. That variety is where it causes me distress, a lot of distress in that I'm very discontent. And that prevents me from being present, basically. Yeah, the desire for more. Yeah. Do you feel that at all as a creative? Yeah, I never even considered myself a creative person until recently. <laughs> You've only been writing for like, I don't know, over a year. Yeah, but I, I think that's that's exactly what I discovered was that, oh, I was just really depressed all my life because there was a side of me that like wanted to come out, but I didn't know how to express it. Mm. And writing has helped a little bit. Well, actually writing has helped a ton because it's given me space to really consider. I mean, it's the only way I discovered like, oh, I'm a creative person. I never thought that before. <laughs> I would never have admitted that before ever. And I'd have to agree. I really do think that if you don't find ways to, and I, I think it might be true for anyone too, because I think as kids, everyone is creative in a way. They have their own space to create things and to express themselves in whatever form that they want to do. And then as you grow up, you kind of forget how to do that because you become, I guess you almost become like an adult. I don't know. And you kind of forget what it's like to do something for the sake of having fun. You kind of forget that over time. Maybe it's a mix of just life in general. Maybe like life is kind of hard in a way where you have all these added responsibilities and you think that you're not allowed to have fun, right? Or you're not allowed to express yourself in different creative ways because you're not being an adult then. I don't know. I can't say that I'm, I'm a child anymore and I can't say that I'm an adult anymore. I think I'm in this kind of weird mix of struggling to really grow up and understand what life is and just accepting what life is. Does that make any sense? Yes and no. I mean, what does it even mean to be an adult versus a child? I feel like some people have said like you're, you embrace both, right? You embrace the childhood, childlike side of yourself. And then you have responsibility. I, I guess being an adult means you have responsibilities, but being a child means you are present yeah. <laughs> in life. Because children are extremely present. Yeah, They don't worry about the future. They don't worry about the past. Like they're just present, period. Yeah. And they're just learning all the time. I mean, they're curious about everything. Like, oh, what's that? What's that? But they're curious also, if you think about it, they're curious without guilt. If they stick with something, 
that they enjoy, they do. Yeah. If they don't, they don't beat themselves up over. It's like, why did I fail at that thing? Like, why didn't I <laughs> yeah. through with piano or like baseball? They're like, oh, new thing. Yeah, new thing. All right. I like basketball now. Like, cool. But whereas we tell ourselves this like, oh man, I just spent all that money. I spent all that time. Like, who the fuck cares? It's milk down the drain. Yeah. That's interesting. But then what is what are the adult aspects of life really? Like, if you don't have a family, I mean, I have a family, but if you don't have kids, like, you're just responsible for yourself. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, I wonder, like, I'm not quite an adult. I'm not quite a kid. Why? You're responsible for yourself. That's a, that's a huge fucking job. <laughs> Are you kidding? Like, being responsible for me is a lot harder than being responsible for Miles. <laughs> <laughs> keeping my shit together, like, I mean, that's what this podcast is about, right? Like, keeping my shit, my own shit together is so much harder than, like, parenting miles like parenting miles is just i just have to be patient i just have to sit there and be understanding and not try to like dictate what he should do based on my schedule like oh daddy's got a meeting so stop getting in the fucking car stop crying like i catch myself like thinking i'm just like dude fucked up like this child does not live on my schedule <laughs> like he never will he never should like it's the other way around if anything but keeping my shit together is hard yeah Life just is. That's all I'm trying to take away from all of this is that it just is. Yeah. And I think that's the hard part. It is. It definitely is a hard part. But I think recognizing our own limitations, what am I trying to say here? Recognizing like the limitations of our strengths. That's what I'm trying to say. Like it's easy for us to find our flaws, but this is what I've realized this past week at least. It's harder for me to recognize what I think are strengths that are actually my constraints. Strengths like creativity, strengths like my like amazing eagerness to learn new things are actually things that are also unreined, again, uncontrolled. If I don't manage it well, it actually causes me a lot of distress. And also not recognizing like as things grow, this is the other big realization I had this week, my struggle was like, as things grow, not recognizing that you're going to have more responsibility. When I started Ventures FM, when I started Clever, when I started having a baby, <laughs> all three things were very nascent and very like in their infancy Yeah, two years ago. And everything, I could juggle all three and manage all three. But as each of them grew, what the fuck made me think that I could like still juggle all three? Sure, like Ventures FM, I was able to like just hand off, but still like staying on as a one host podcast host, being president of the OC, you know, alumni chapter, like what made me think I could juggle these things? Even if two of those things didn't grow, even if one thing grew, which is my child, undeniably he will grow, like a business <laughs> may or may not, but the child will grow, right? What made me think that as he's growing and my responsibilities as a father grows, that I can still juggle the other things the same way, at least, as I was doing before and not pull back or scale back because I cannot scale back from parenthood. And that's my number one priority. I've recognized he's passed three or four weeks of taking a break. He's like, raising miles, fucking number one. Nothing comes before family. <laughs> like, hard fucking line right there, right? And it's like, what do I need to pull back on? Everything else. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind as well. As you're like, as you're growing, as a writer, maybe you do need to devote less time to other potential interests. Or if you do want to, try any of those things, right? Improv, acting, voice act, whatever it was, right? go hard at it for two weeks, you're like, you're either going to love it or you're going to fucking be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs>
So something to think about, food for thought. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's a good thing to know that as life goes on, you just get more responsibilities and it's just you prioritizing which one is the most important. Yeah, and saying no to a lot more things. And that's the one thing that I didn't quite understand even two weeks ago. I was like saying no. I was like, well, what can I say no to? I can't say no to these things. It took me like two weeks to realize, yes, yes, you can fucking say no to a lot of these things. You're not going to be a less lesser of a person or lesser of a man, you know, for saying no to things. Like people are going to respect you when you can prioritize. This is a <laughs> this is a pretty heavy session today. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Thanks, listeners, if you're still here. <laughs> We're kind of all over the place, but thanks for sticking along. Once again, happy to hear any feedback, thoughts, your thoughts, your inputs, your stories. Let us know. Email us, you know? Fuck it. Email us. Do we have an email? You can email me personally at reachshawn at gmail.com. All right. But yeah, we can set up an email, actually, at hello at, at struggle. We have a domain, struggles.fm. That's true. Nothing prevents me from actually setting up an email. Hello at struggles.fm. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's a wrap for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next week.